Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry, and of course, this is my co-host. My name is Chris Huddleston. And today, we are both very excited to be talking to you about a film from our youth, Terry Gilliam's Time Bandits. The classic is back, so prepare yourself for a different kind of movie. A movie that takes you on a journey through time. Ask me. Travel aboard the SS Titanic. Shake hands with Napoleon. Become a personal friend to Robin Hood. You will join us at a real Roman orgy. You'll say hello to ancient Greece. And marvel at the size of a young warrior's horn. You will spend an evening with the biggest homo sapien of all time. Did you hear something, dear? No, I don't think so. Finally, a movie that takes you inside. The Fabulous World of Darkness. Recognize this fellow? Well, you will when he tries to destroy all good in the universe. Oh, no! I'm a reasonable man. Former Beatle George Harrison brings together John Cleese, Sean Connery, Shelley Duvall, Catherine Hellman, Michael Palin, David Warner in a journey more ridiculous than history. Thank you very much. Very, 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 very much. Time Bandits. Do you have a synopsis for it, Mr. Adelson? I do. So as you said, it is a Terry Gilliam film from 1981, Time Bandits. Uh, a young his history buff, Kevin Craig Warnock, can scarcely believe it when six... Okay, I'm never sure about the term. They say dwarfs. I don't know if you should say little people. I don't know. Um, so apologies if, if that's the wrong term. Um, emerge from his closet one night. Former employees of the Supreme Being, Ralph Richardson, they've purloined a map charting all of the holes in the fabric of time and are using it to steal treasures from different historical eras. Taking Kevin with them, they variously drop in on Napoleon, Ian Holm, Robin Hood, John Cleese, and King Agamemnon, Sean Connery, before the Supreme Being catches up with them. So I had actually not seen this. So do you care if I go first? Wow, you hadn't seen it by yeah, all means. I realized means. I hadn't seen it. By all means. So, so this is a movie that I was always aware of. I thought I had probably seen this at some point, but I don't think I had because really my only... I think the only thing really that I knew about this was that it was these little people traveling through time. I didn't, it, it starts in present day and it ends in present day. And I didn't know any of that. So I think I had probably not seen this, um, but I was always aware of it. And I'd always, I knew this is what I really like about doing the show because it's one that I've thought about many times over the years. You know, I'd be like, have I seen that? Have I not? But I thought I should, visit this or revisit it it's on hbo max it's criterion collection edition of this um and it looks really great terry gilliam for me is a director a creator who can be hit and miss hot and cold for me um we did um uh, 12 monkeys at some point on the podcast which which you didn't like as much as me um 
that would 12 monkeys is would rank somewhere among my favorite films i mean it'd probably be in my top definitely be in my top 50 probably somewhere in my top 30 or or 25 I, i just think it's a it's a great great movie with this you have some there's some really great elements i love i mean i'll watch almost anything that involves time travel in in some way so i'm you know i'm in with all that all of the performances are great you have an excellent performance from Sean Connery. I mean, I think this is among, you know, his really great stuff that he's done. He has a small part in it. You have Ian Holm as Napoleon, who is excellent. John Cleese is only in it for about five minutes as Robin Hood. And he, John Cleese could just read the phone book and I would be, you know, he's, he's great in everything. It's, but it's just him being him. And there's a really great scene where they have, uh, the time bandits have stolen all of these things from Napoleon and they land in the era of Robin Hood. And, you know, they open up this bag with all the, these paintings and goblets and everything. And he's like, oh, he's like, uh, oh, you have some wonderful things here. The poor are going to love it. Have you met the poor, wonderful people, you know? And so they're like, no, we stole this, this for us. Yes, you steal from the rich and you give to the poor. And, you know, he takes the yeah. things and... So I loved all of that. Um, and I enjoyed it overall. My, my real criticism of it would be a lot of the scenes just kind of drag on too long. And I found myself bored at times. It's an hour and 50 minutes. It, you know, an hour and 20 minutes, hour 30 minutes would have been perfect for this. I think like early on in the film, so... It's a bit like, uh, which was a film that came later, but it's kind of like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure because they just travel around through time and, you know, and find these historical uh, figures. They do not take them with them like Bill and Ted and Mm -hmm. assemble a band or anything. But they, you know, so all of that is fun. But like in the, the first historical figure they encounter is Napoleon. And there's a scene where, Napoleon is watching a Punch and Judy show and he's laughing and he loves it. And that finishes. And then the actors, you know, they do some other performance and he doesn't like that. And he doesn't, you know, it's the next thing. And I think the film thinks all of this is really hilarious, but it goes on for about 10 or 12 minutes. And you're just like, this could have been two minutes and we'd get the joke, you know? Yeah. So the parts that are, are good in it are good to great but it drags and i don't i don't know if that is you know just looking at it with 2022 eyes where we're so used to but you know we did last week we did uh uh the shape of water and that's a two-minute film and i wouldn't cut anything from it there's nothing it just moves along and everything is you know what i mean i don't know what did what did you think I do. I I agree with your assessment. When I saw it as a kid, I was a huge Monty Python fan, Mm -hmm. mega fan. Loved everything. And this is written by. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but written by Terry Gilliam and, damn it, Michael (laughs) Michael Palin, who who appears in in it. it. He's in it. A couple of different roles. You have Shelley Duvall, who's great. Everything in everybody in it is great. It's this great mix of elements that doesn't necessarily form a a great hole. 
And when I saw it as a kid, I was bitterly disappointed in it because I wanted mm. it to be like the Holy Grail. I thought, oh, it's mm -hmm. got John Cleese. It's got, you know, Michael Palin. It's done by. Uh, Terry now, did you Gilliam. see it as a child or like I saw it school or high no, school? No, I mean, I would have been in junior high, maybe. Okay. 81, it came out. Yeah, I mean. I don't so know if you saw it like five years later, we would go to the theater and see it. But like when sure, it got yeah. to HBO, you know? Yeah. Um, and I just, you know, so I was in my young teens, I guess. And I just really wanted to be something that it's not. Um, I agree that it does drag. And I think that the name performances for the most part are spectacular. I'm watching it, rewatching it as an adult. I liked it enormously more. Mm hmm because i know more of ian holmes work uh ian holm is napoleon in this and he just it's wonderful it's delightful uh john cleese like you know terry gilliam is such a history wonk like he's so persnickety about getting everything just so and one of my favorite things about the robin hood sequence is they jump through one of the time holes. They're usually jumping through something, not really knowing where they're going and just escaping from some other threat. And the creator sort of shows up as a disembodied head, return the map, you know, and it's sort of, ah, they run and they go through a time hole. So they, they um, land in the woods and, and it, there are some ruffians in the woods and it, it becomes, there's some, some rich people that are a recurring trope. It's Michael Palin and, um, Shelly Duvall, Duvall are this kind of recurring couple through time mm -hmm. that are comic relief and and here they're nobles and they're being robbed by these ruffians so you're like oh okay this is middle ages um cool 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 and they have a funny little scene and then you end up with these nasty looking ruffians who it turns out are part of the merry men and they're they look bad like they're wearing rags and the terrible teeth and they're filthy and they're like oh well you must come and meet our leader you know and and uh they, they oh go get him and it's very menacing they're all tied up and like, oh, we'll go get him and and here comes john cleese comes stepping out of this tent in the background he's kind of posh you know and he's i don't know how tall john cleese is but he's very tall mm. and in this movie it's sort of shot from the kid's angle sitting on the ground and he looks twice as tall as anybody else there. And he is dressed. He has this little page boy wig with the, with the green hat, with the feather and the, and has a long cap and the kind of uh, slashed puff sleeves. And he's hello. I'm a hood. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he's everything that yeah. these merry men are. He's this aristocratic, like, you know, he goes around, shakes each other. And what's your name? Jolly good. And he goes to the next dwarf or little person, whatever the correct term is. And 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 you are? The guy says nothing. Jolly good. Because <laughs> he's just he's the epitome of this upper crust. Oh, it's so funny. It, I didn't think it was funny at the time because I don't think I got some of the deeper cuts but like he terry gilliam is a good enough director to cast sean connery ian holm um the guys that he worked with in money python shelly duvall and get out of their way mm -hmm. um because when they're cooking and it I, I forget the guy who plays absolute evil um but he's from tron and a number yeah, of yeah things and he's great about. and he is a classically trained he is also a great actor i think him 
it's it's not super clear because he is supposed to be scary but he's also supposed to be funny and i think that that david warner yeah david warner leavening the scenes figuring out a way to make he's basically the devil but he's he's just there's the creator and then there's the force of evil and he is the force of evil Mm -hmm. He is supposed to be scary, but it's also supposed to be funny. And I think he's Terry Gilliam's trying to leaven. He wants to be genuinely scary, but he wants to leaven it with comedy because I think he's thinking this is a kid's movie. Mm-hmm. And it, it it's the it's the it's the part of the film. Unfortunately, it's act three. So it's important that the thing stay really sharp and clips along, but that's where it kind of loses its footing, I think. Um yeah because the comedy isn't funny and it's sort of leaden and it's pitching, you know, it's pitching. Here's a funny joke, kids. And you're kind of like, well, the rest of the movie hasn't really been like this. Um, The one thing I will say about Terry Gilliam, the visual, the visuals throughout here are absolutely spectacular. Uh, I just looked up the budget. It's five million, five million dollars was the budget. And there was a lot of this movie where I was like, is this a location or is this a set? It yeah. looks so, you know, they're in churches and mansions and these different things. And it's like, would I couldn't have, tell what was a set and what wasn't. It would like not you said, have it believed looks, it. $5 million. Fantastic. Yeah, $5 million. Sounds so I mean, low to me, uh, just yeah. on the basis of how the movie looks. Yeah. And his imagination is bonkers. Like uh, his imagination rivals Del Toro in my mind. Like mm-hmm. there's a scene in which they're on a ship, there's pirates and they're on a ship. And then the ship starts keel hauling and a giant, like a giant, giant size of a mountain giant is walking up out of the water. And the the ship was right underneath him. So he's wearing the ship like a hat. And there's all kinds of wonderful touches. Like the giant has these sort of crazy tattoos, like vaguely Pacific Islander tattoos. But he's also got big ear, like the design he's like george lucas in this regard like he has a whole backstory for this giant and his giant's history and culture and everything that never comes into the movie it's just there visually to make it distinct i I, it blew me away watching it isn't i think as a kid i thought well that looks cool but now i was like man look at that shot you know look at that that is just crazy cool and no CGI. There was no CGI back then. Right. And there's never anything in this where it's like, oh, they're obviously on a green screen or anything like that. You know, everything looks real. And I think George Lucas is a great comparison because so famously, uh, Gilliam is a guy who has always kind of butted heads with s- studios and, you know, they've interfered a lot. And, but, I think he's much like Lucas where he's a guy that has all these brilliant ideas and brilliant visuals that probably needs someone to a good editor to kind of excise some of the boring things or the things that don't quite work in my opinion. Yeah. And I don't want to find myself in the position of defending studios. No, no, not at all. But in some cases, like I think anybody who knows what they're doing in a studio would see some of the stuff that Terry Gilliam has shot and say, this guy knows how to paint incredible pictures here, but he needs a little help 
making the making the story go down like it, it needs to kind of it needs to hit certain marks for an audience to fall in love with it and want to come back and see it multiple times and recommend it to all of their friends and that's what a guy like, like del toro has he has all these weird ideas and these crazy visuals but he's also able to make it accessible you know for everybody i think with um time bandits is a lot like i don't know if you've seen Eric the Viking or The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. But those films are very much like this in that there's a lot of really cool things, but there's a lot of it where it's like, uh, this is kind of a slog to get through. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, so I, to, to break it apart a little bit, you know, the, we start with the kid in the 80s and he's got these parents. He's an only child, it seems. He's got these parents that are just glued to the TV and they're completely vacuous. And they just want him to go to bed and be quiet and not make noise. And so when these adventurers come through his bureau, he goes with them. Imaginative kid, little history buff, as it says in the uh, synopsis that you read. But then he meets, I thought one way of looking at this film might be that he meets a bunch of alternate father figures, right? He meets King Agamemnon, he meets mm -hmm. Napoleon, he meets Robin Hood. And um, at the end, the guy who's absolute evil is talking about all of the things his parents are into, this modern new world, you know, this microwaves and... Um, computer chips and things the, the glittering commercialism that his parents seem so enamored of and it's not clear in the movie that that is a thesis or what it's trying to do but i i it occurred to me because right off the bat he meets king agamemnon and it's sean connery in mm -hmm. in among his most win he doesn't have a lot to do but he seems like he's having a great time yeah and he's so you 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 see it you okay I get it. I get why everybody wants Sean Connery in the movie because he's just got a million megawatt smile mm -hmm. and he's he radiates sort of strength, but um, not uh, not in a toxic way or in a, in a he's just open and present. And we see him defeating a kind of a minotaur mm -hmm. knight or somebody who's wearing a bull helmet. It's not clear whether it's supposed to be a minotaur or not um and by the end of it uh agamemnon has taken a shine to this kid we don't have a lot of time for this to develop but by the end he says they're having this feast to celebrate his victory and he's like i i'm adopting this boy as my son right so you get to be and then the the dancers take off their things and it's the the little people that have come to his friends who have come to sort of quote unquote rescue him and take him on to the next thing. He doesn't want to go. And you're like, mm -hmm. I would want to go either. This is amazing. What a well, and great trade he's detached from his parents, you know, and at the end, spoiler alert, his parents literally explode at the end of the film. It is, and he's not upset about it at all. He's just like, Oh, well, they're gone. There's a <laughs> chunk know? of pure evil that survives and it's in their mm -hmm. microwave oven and they open it up. And their house burns down and the fire guy says, so here's the cause of it. And he has the holds this microwave open oven and opens it up. And there's this chunk of what we have been told is absolute evil. It's what remains. Somebody didn't pick it up when they did, when the creator defeated the, the evil guy. Um, and the kid recognizes it. 
and there's the there's the fireman holding it and mom on one side and dad on the other and he opens it up and the kid recognizes and he says don't touch it and his parents look at him and then they both reach in and touch it they go go up in a puff of smoke yeah it's great (laughs) and it's you know so to me it was this sort of it's a children's movie it's also kind of a fairy tale about a kid who wants different parents and the movie doesn't end with him getting different parents the movie ends with his i guess emancipation from his current parents but he's too young it's not like he's 16 where he just gets to or 18 where he gets to go on and live his life like he's gonna put in some foster thing so you don't know what's gonna happen to the kid yeah it's this weird ending i thought i'm like well he should end up back with agamemnon or or agamemnon should have been last like he should have started with robin hood and then napoleon and then right because robin hood is 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 a distant father figure in one way and mm-hmm. um napoleon is a self-absorbed you know he's a distant father figure in another way and it isn't except for agamemnon who is this sort of guy that is open and really seems to see the kid and just take a natural shine to him right, right. and yet we lead with that and I thought, oh, you know, maybe I should go work for a studio. But I feel like, you know, the, you want the movie to end with that somehow where he gets mm-hmm. gets a happy ending with somebody. Yeah, I can like. see that. Yeah. I don't know. It'd be interesting to see if there was a way to edit this movie to make it feel not like a slog. I think that what you have on screen with um, absolute evil is a little doesn't quite work. And so no. you can't fix that just by cutting stuff, but you could certainly make the thing trip along for most of the movie a little bit better. I think some of the scenes, like again, you like you have a, a part late in the film where they're on a ship and there's an ogre, and the ogre is supposed to just be hilarious, you know, their interactions with him, and and it's not, it's not maybe to little kids, but you were a little kid when you watched it and or you were you know uh somewhere in your youth when you watched it and you didn't think it was it was funny you know at the time no um it's very so terry gilliam is he's american he was born in the united states but he worked with monty python you know he did the animation for them and everything so this is a everybody in it is english or you know, Sean Connery, I think is Welsh, but, but so it's very, I, I really liked one of the things that did strike me as really funny is the Supreme being is just, he's very, very British. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's just, so the, is the creator. So is the creator. Yeah. Or, um, the creator's over this daughtering. That's, that's, that, that, no, that's what I'm doing. And he's just, you know, has a three-piece suit and it's basically a corporation. You know, the, the little people work for his corporation that he has because he says, well, I'm going to send you back to department whatever. And that is a theme in, you know, corporate overlords and, and you know, that's a, that's a running theme in Gilliam's films, right. you know, like Brazil and everything. The but I cre- thought, I just creation thought was- isn't some mystical thing. It's a bureaucracy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I, I just thought that was really funny. You know, that definitely. And as a kid, like, that's not going to, that's going to go over your head. I right. mean, there's not going to be anything about that. That's right. really going to be appealing, but yeah, it's, um, 
you know, it made me, I guess, a little bit sad because it, it, it again, it, it has a lot of really great elements and there are certainly things that I'm glad we watched it. Yes. Um, but it just, and I think, like if you showed this to a kid today, I think they'd just be bored to tears, sadly. Yeah. Well, you know, when you say it's pretty clearly a kid's movie, right? Yeah, and that's what I that's what I felt pitched at kids. But my my sort of litmus test question would be, you know, Terry, what age kid are you aiming at here? Because mm -hmm. it does seem to sort of slew around a little bit. And it's it's not you can say, oh, kids five to 25 and you're kind of like yeah that's not a demographic uh you you really want to you know the ogre stuff where it's oh my bunions hurt oh boo. yeah that's kind of like, like fart jokes and very you know. broad and and much younger kids and i feel like the the demographic it's aiming at gets younger as the movie goes Mm -hmm. which is why i think it stumbles in the second half to act three um Wow, I, this... I don't know if they shot it out of sequence. Maybe I don't know what would account for that, but it's it is weird. This made this kind of surprises me. Uh, on a five million dollar budget, it did forty two million dollars in the United States, and it it just only made a tiny amount of money internationally. I would have figured this would have been like a big movie in England, but would have flopped here. But I didn't realize it was. So this was like a pretty big hit really wow. for terry gilliam yeah uh which is interesting because i mean i just can't imagine this getting into theaters today yeah it's, I, it was it, bomb it, it, it's kind of heartbreaking because the, the visuals are so stunning and there's I mean, all good... the money is up on screen it's just it just looks great more it looks like it's more yeah. than it. Uh, oh yeah it, yeah it just as a as a as a you know, a vehicle just doesn't quite fly. Mm -hmm. And we've watched worse movies. Oh, this isn't by no means a bad movie. I mean, it's just I would parts I would of it are so this. good. Yes. That you want it all to be that good. Mm -hmm. And yet architecturally at its core, you're like, wow, this house looks amazing. But, you know, the foundation's cracked. Like, I'm, I'm not going to buy this house. But I wish that it didn't have the flaws because i would you know i would i would want to buy this house if it was sound it just um it does when a movie drags at the end it's like it's kind of a kiss of death you're like what's you know you gotta bring it home this just popped into my head but i think this could be compared in some ways to legend that we watched a while back again another brilliant director Ridley Scott and a really great looking film that doesn't all quite come together. Some excellent elements, you know, but again, with that movie, I felt like it kind of took some work to get through all of it. Yeah. Yeah. And probably agree. meant to be a kid's movie. You and know. if I had to watch one of those two again, I would watch time bandits again. Oh, me too. For sure. For you sure. Know, so right there. Um, you yeah. know, I, I, I mean, I, I say we've watched worse movies. We've we've watched many, many movies that are a lot, lot worse. Yeah. This is one of those ones. Like I say, like you wish this is in no way a bad film. I mean, this is you know, great acting performance, gr great visuals, and some parts that are genuinely funny. But just, I, I, I just was thinking, wow, I wish that 
if this were a movie, you know, you have, and maybe he could only get them for a brief time or whatever, but, and nothing against the actors who played the time bandits themselves, because they all do really great performances. They do. But you have John Cleese and Sean Connery, make them the time, and Ian Holm, make them the time bandits, you know? 90 minutes of them running around stealing stuff from historical figures would have just been incredible. Yeah, I wondered about that too. I wondered about the decision. Maybe he just had each of them for a day or two or something, you know. Right on $5 million. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially John Cleese, who's on screen for five minutes. I thought that the, the time bandits... And when I was a kid, I was kind of, I, I remember I didn't connect with that either. I'm like, why? But now I'm like, you know, that's our, those are actually really good performances. Those aren't yeah, just nothing against peripheral them characters all. where they walk up and hand Santa a toy or something. Like Mm-mm. they have roles to get their teeth into. And there's a lot of good acting there. I mean, it's not the best comic timing across the board that I've ever seen on screen. You know, I don't want to qualify it with saying, oh, you know, it's like when you qualify, it's not bad for a kid actor, you know, but uh, the kid was a little bit flat too, frankly. Sure. Yeah. And how, but I mean, it's, it's a high bar, you know, not yeah. every Spielberg can get this incredible performance out of kids. Right. But if I were an executive, I would have said, okay, I'm going to have Sean Connery, John the, Cleese. Sean Connery's the kid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> perfect. Perfect casting. But I would, I would, the time bandits would be Sean Connery, John Cleese. Michael Palin and Shelley Duvall, make them the time bandits and just let, you don't even have to write dialogue, just let them riff, you right. know, and maybe to make 142 million instead. I think the million. scenes know. with Michael Palin and Shelley Duvall are really funny. Yeah. I think that they're really funny. They're two silly lovers and they're ridiculous lovers. And at first they're a medieval, you know, lord and lady, and and then second, they're on the Titanic, and mm-hmm. he has got some horrible growth right on the end of his nose. Hairpiece, very broad, but you know, yeah. they're they're funny. Again, Michael Palin, another guy who is just funny and everything. Yeah, know? I agree. Yeah, you know, something we should do sometime because it has been probably twenty five years since I've seen it, but we should do a fish called Wanda. That's a great movie. It's it's been a long, long, long time since I've seen it. That's a great movie. We had talked about doing a yet another Del Toro movie, Chronos. Yeah. So so if you want to get into you know things next, uh, we well, what talked we, about. Let's let's tie okay, this okay, off. Okay. So, so would yep. you? So you had never seen this. Would you recommend people to watch this? Yeah, I I would recommend. You know, this uh, a lot of this I would say depends on how much you like Terry Gilliam. You know, if you've seen things like Brazil and Adventures of Baron Munchausen, or you know, Twelve Monkeys, or or any of his other films, and you'd like those, but you've not seen this, I would say, you know, give it a shot. Also, if you like British films, um, but just know it's 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 kind of slow. You know, I don't regret watching it again. I'm glad it's, it's kind of like, I feel like I can check that one off. I, Cause I wasn't, you know, I wasn't sure if I'd seen it or not. And now I know I definitely had not, I've maybe seen bits and pieces of it, but I'd never seen it in it, seen it in its entirety. 
Um, so I think it's a thing of you get into where it was just not exactly what the movie that I wanted. Um, but you know, just, we talked about the visuals, the visuals are just fantastic. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I would, I would recommend it. I mean, it's, it's, it's a good film, just slow. I, I agree with you almost to the letter there. I, I recommend it almost just on the basis of those visuals and the performance of the stars that come into it um but with all of those little caveats attached mm -hmm. you know and i don't want to say watch it as homework or watch it as an academic piece but it's not if somebody said what's the most entertaining movie i could sit down and watch tonight this one wouldn't leap to my mind but if somebody was saying Terry Gilliam has really had an interesting career. And I said, yeah, like we just watched Time Bandits. And you said, oh, I've never seen that. I'd be like, oh, you should watch Time Bandits. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it that's... was a it's a 90 percent on Rotten Tomatoes and a 6.9 on IMDb with 62,000 votes. So that's where I would put it around like a seven. Yeah. You know, something like yeah. that. Yeah. It's so interesting. 6.9. They just hedge that seven a little bit. I'm, I yeah. might go with the 6.9. There's just so that, we, that wish. Okay. Like, I wish I wish this was a 7.5 or an 8, but it's not. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to give it a 6.9. Exactly, exactly. Um, so we had talked about um, one that you had brought up was Romancing the Stone. Right. Uh, which I, it's been a long, long time since long I've seen that. Time. So I'd be happy to see that. And then I also was Zemeckis, saying that... Right? Isn't that Robert Zemeckis did that? I think so. I think so. Yeah, I think I think so. Yeah. And uh, there is a new movie coming out with Sandra Bullock that the, and I don't know what the title of it is, but it's basically the plot of she's a uh, romance writer or whatever and goes into the jungle with Channing Tatum and it's Channing Tatum and it's just like oh this is just romancing the stone so um but that comes out this summer so um and then also we had the only del Toro film that I have not seen which is on HBO Max right now is Kronos which is his first movie um so that's one that you know I'd love to we've been on kind of a del Toro kick and then also are you planning to see the Batman in theaters or do you think you'll wait until, cause that starts this weekend and I will probably, I imagine I will have seen it before we record next. So I don't know. I, I don't have plans to go and to go seek it out. Not this okay. weekend. I, I kind of hurt my hip. So getting around is a little, mm -hmm. um, you know, and with the kids, I may, I may see it in theaters. Like okay. if I'm down in New York I'm, and I have time, I might go to a theater and see it. Um, I would okay. prefer to see it in the theater, but I, I don't want to commit to doing that for next time in case that sure. becomes a challenge for me to get into. So what do you think? Would you want to do Romancing the Stone or would you want to do another Del Toro or you, is there something else that... What's Kronos about? Do you know? I know nothing about it. It is a... It's a... Uh, it has something to do with vampires. Um, but I think it's, you know, it's a del Toro kind of spin on it. It's like an old man with these, um, let me look it up here really quick and I'll tell you what it, I know it has to do with vampires. 
came out in 1993 and it's Spanish language. Um, A mysterious device designed to provide its owner with eternal life resurfaces after 400 years, leaving a trail of destruction in its path. And some of the reviews that I've read is that it's very Del Toro. It's just, he's on a much smaller budget than, you know, than what he has now. For, but has Ron Perlman in it, uh, even though it's Spanish language. Um, is it Ron Perlman speaking Spanish? I guess so. His character is named Angel de la Guardia. Ramirez. <laughs> so... So I don't know. That's one that I've I don't always know either. Do you, do you have a preference for next week? I don't. I'm how, kind of toggling back and forth. How about if we do to like, I don't want to use palate cleanser. Uh, Romancing the in like a Yeah, in a bad way. But we've done a lot of Del Change it up. Let's, and let's we, do Romancing yeah. the Stone and we can do Kronos after okay. that if we want. Oh, we're going to do Romancing the Stone for next week, friends. And then Cronus, we'll see. We're going to okay. see about that. And maybe the Batman, we're going to see about that too. Um, so Chris and Chris talk movies at gmail.com. That is our email. You can yeah. send if you have suggestions for stuff to watch. We're on the socials. We're on Facebook. We're on Insta. I don't think we're on TikTok. No, we're not on TikTok. We don't do we dances start on doing the TikTok. Some- do some original comedy stuff on there or something um but 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 all that being said if you're watching us on youtube thank you please like and subscribe if you are listening to us thank you so much for sticking with us or just joining us whatever the case may be why don't you watch uh romancing the stone and we can all discuss it well not you <laughs> but us, we'll you're there too. in yeah. spirit with us <laughs> yeah <laughs> maybe you are discussing it we just can't hear you uh for next week um so do you have anything else to add a little bit of a short episode this week but that's fine um anything else to add no no i think that's all wunderbar then we will talk to you next week